0: I told you that uh, last week I told you that we would be taking the next two weeks to talk about what it means to live really a generous life. And as we think about that, I want you to think about it in terms of really kind of two stages of what we'll be talking about. This is really kind of like what Stewardship 101 is. That's kind of what we'll call today. And next week we'll kind of say, well, what's that next step? What happens after we do that? And we're working on something for you that I hope will be beneficial to you. Uh, Jack Wilkerson, uh, one of our deacons, life group leaders, uh, just kind of had the idea that maybe after doing this, it would be helpful if we just had a time where uh, we could talk basics. If you just had questions about general stewardship and biblical principles, and so we're working on that, and we'll kind of hopefully have that announced for you next week, a time where you can meet with him if you want to come and ask questions kind of in a small group format to be able to do that. Maybe on a Wednesday night, which I think would be really helpful, and Jack, I really appreciate you having that idea uh, for us to do that. This is something that our church has done consistently really for the last 15 years or longer about this time every year. We've taken time to stop and really talk about what it means to evaluate and examine the principles of money in the scripture, and really how they relate to our lives, so we talk about this in two seasons every year and and, and I want you to know like some some people I feel like they have to apologize or feel like hey if you 're a guest i 'm sorry that you 're here today i 'm not i 'm glad you 're here today because it doesn 't matter if you 're going back to some other church or what else. This is biblical life for us, and it 's important for us to understand. What the scripture says about our relationship to money and what stewardship looks like. How important is money? I mean, it's a great question, isn't it? How important is it? And I think the answer is it depends on how bad you need it, right? I mean, have you ever noticed like when, when you've got plenty of money, it's easy to say, money's not that important to me right now, right? I mean, right? Is that, is that how it works for you? It's how it works for me. When, when I'm not feeling the pressure of finances, it, I mean, it's easy to talk about money as if it's like anything else in my life that I might give away or or throw away because it just doesn't seem important. But what can happen so fast, and, and you know the way that this works, what happens in our lives so fast is that the wheel of life kind of rolls like this and sometimes you're on the top of it and sometimes it feels like you're getting buried by it. And so when we're kind of on the bottom side of that, it can really feel like our relationship to money is causing pressure in our lives. It becomes very, very important. But it was important to Jesus. And it certainly wasn't the thing that he talked about the most. But if you think about it, Jesus spoke in, in what scholars would tell us about 39 parables. And 11 of those mention or have to do with our relationship to money. So as he's teaching people, I mean, that, that's a, a great majority of his teaching is focused in and around our relationship to to money. In fact, money and biblical principles and stewardship are mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. Does the Bible have something to say to us about money? It does. And the reason it has something to say to us about money is because our relationship to money is actually fundamental to our relationship to the Lord. Because there's nothing in your life that will try to sneak in and take you away from your priority in your relationship to the Lord like money Will And if we aren't careful, what starts to happen is something that is necessary and useful and beneficial for life starts to become primary in life and crowd out the most important thing in our life. The most important thing in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just say that this morning? The single most important thing in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ because that gives us access to God the Father, right? If we don't have Jesus Christ die on the cross for us, if we don't repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we have no ability to have a relationship with God the Father. We're excluded from the things that God has for us, and so in our lives, even as believers, we can be led astray by that. In fact, I want you to see this from 1 Timothy chapter six, verse nine and ten, and I'll read it. It'll be on the screen. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money and is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. And pierce themselves with many griefs. When you think about what what the Apostle Paul was saying to his young protege, Timothy, as he's giving him this pastoral epistle. It's a letter about being a pastor. And he says, you need to watch yourself and you need to teach your church about this because money can lead us into all kinds of harmful things. Well, what does he mean by that? Have you ever known somebody that wanted money so bad they were willing to compromise? integrity for money i've had friends who've lost jobs because they compromised for money i've had friends who have been prosecuted for stealing money from the place that they worked and they were good people they weren't bad people they're they're just like you and just like me they just got lured away Right, And it can happen to any of us. And and before you sit smugly and spiritually and say, I mean, I've got money under control. It's just not a thing for me. Be careful. Don't let pride go before the fall, right? I mean, that's an important thing for us to see. If you know someone ruined by the pursuit of money, you know that it's an awful thing to watch because the desire to be rich takes us away from our ability to see God move and to trust God for what God has in store for our lives. Now, to be clear this morning, let me just say this. I want to just say money in itself is not evil. We just read that. The love of money is evil. And this morning, uh, this is not an indictment against money. I hope that you have money. I hope that you're not feeling the pressure of life right now. And if you are, I hope that you'll uh, get relief from that and that God will will send aid to you in that. And, And I don't want you to feel that's not what this is about. I'm also this morning not trying to raise money. Now, I talked to you last week about how I'm ready for our debt to be gone. I'll let you know when we're gonna raise money for that, okay? I'm not trying to raise money. That's not what it's about. It's not about trying to raise money. I wanna be very clear about that. I want to raise stewards up, I want to teach you to be a steward and to walk in obedience to the Lord in your relationship to money. Because if you get that, I'll never have to raise money. That, that, that'll be a great thing. You know, one of the things that we don't do here when we talk about sending people on mission trips, or we say, man, we need to send our students to camp or that kind of thing. We never ask you to like have a yard sale or a bake sale. Let's try to raise money. We don't do it. Stewards give money for everything that's needed in God's house. That's how it is. So we don't need to raise money for those things. I'm also not trying this morning to guilt you into giving more. Not it at all. Don't want you to be feeling guilty when you leave here. You should not feel guilty. You should understand very clearly whether or not you have a right relationship to money or not. You should understand the biblical principles of stewardship and tithing, but it shouldn't make you feel guilty. That's entirely not the point. And I'm also, again, just to clarify, I want you to be obedient to the scripture. I want us to read this verse together because I think it sets the framework for how we deal with money in our lives. And I want you to read it with me. It's gonna come from Psalm 24. And we'll read verses one and two. Let's read this together. The earth and everything in it The world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord, for he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on its rivers. So when you read these verses, this is fundamental to understanding everything we need to know about money. Who owns it all? God. Now, you just said that God owns it all, so in a second, I don't want you to take that back and say, well, now wait, but that's mine, okay? Do you ever find yourself doing that? God owns it all, but this is mine. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. If it's all the Lord's, because he established the world, he created the world. If you create something, you have absolute uh, sway over its determination and how it could be used and what happens in it. You're sovereign over it because you have complete ownership over it. So everything that is contained in this world is Gods. So that includes you, that includes me, that includes this building that we're in, it includes the trees that we see, it includes the mountains that we go and enjoy, the beaches that we go and enjoy. All of those things are actually God's. It also includes the finances that are in there. So I wanna ask you this question. Does God need money? No. God doesn't need money. He already has it. It's his. He owns it all. So when we're trying to understand this, that becomes very important for us To say, well, what what does God need for me? Oh, don't think of yourself too highly. God doesn't need you at all. Do you remember what Jesus said? If you keep silent, the rocks will cry out. We don't need you. Don't think of yourself too important. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He created us. He's got us. It, we're, we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. He owns it all. So God doesn't need money. And this bit then is the baseline for how we understand everything. If it's all his, it gets to the heart of the matter for us to understand whether or not we are owners or stewards. Now, this is very important. I don't want you to miss this. When we talk about stewardship, we talk about things being left in trust to us. Now, they're ours in trust. Owners have absolute say over everything that happens, right? Uh, If you own the Tennessee Titans, you have absolute say over what happens to that football team. You can cut who you want. You can hire who you want. But if you're the manager for the Titans, you're in stewardship of those things, right? That's different than being an owner. So when we talk about God owning the world and everything in it and us being stewards, that changes everything everything. Stewards have to approach everything that comes through their hands with open hands. Open hands. Why is that? Because they're passing through our hands. You've often heard it said, right, that when we do funerals, nobody attaches a trailer to the hearse because you can't take it with you. It's going to stay. It passes through our hands. The question is, do we understand that in the days while we're living? Because if we do, it changes everything. Because now money is a resource. Possessions are a resource. And we have to use them as such. Now, this isn't lip service for Christians. Because if we're truly stewards of these things, that means that everything that God gives you and God gives me is His And we have to steward it wisely. I'm having this kind of thing right now in my life right now. Just a couple of uh, weeks past here, I had a a little bit of unexpected income come in. Somebody gave me something. And I know that it's not mine. God's already made that clear. Isn't that funny? Like, as soon as I got it, I knew it wasn't mine. I, I was very sure of that. The Lord, that's not yours but he hasn't told me what it's for yet, right? And so I have it sitting in an envelope, sitting on my desk, and I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me what it's for. Is it for missions? Is it for someone who's in the, I don't know, it's not mine, it's his, right? When we think about it differently, that means that everything that passes through our hands deserves its place in God's economy, meaning that we don't just go and spend it. That every increase that we get is not just for us to use, for ourselves now a couple of weeks ago we studied proverbs 3 i want you to turn back there and i want you to look at these verses with me again we looked at proverbs 3 and verses 5 and 6 and we talk about these verses they are fundamental we were talking about big decisions and how to discern god's will in big decisions you remember that just a few weeks ago and i told you to get ready Because we were going to talk about money in just a few weeks. Let's read these verses again from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight. So the the key verse there that we, we learned was trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your understanding. Now, my understanding about money may be very different than God's understanding about money because Isaiah 55 says that God's thoughts are different than my thoughts. Can we say amen to that? Do you think that God thinks about things differently than you do? Does God value things that you don't? you ever thought about that? Does God value things that you don't? Have you ever thought about a person who interrupts your day? And they are just a nuisance to you because it's an interruption. And have you ever thought that maybe God values them more than your schedule? Have you thought about that like that? God values things differently than you value them. So the way that God values money and the way that God thinks about money is different than the way we think about it. We often think about money as something that we are to acquire and hold on to because we need provision for the future. Now, I'm not telling you not to save money. In fact, I hope that you will. There's a biblical principle there for saving and and stewarding correctly and being ready for a rainy day. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? We oftentimes think the goal in life is to get and get and acquire and acquire. And we're winning if we have more than we did last year. And we're losing if we don't. And that's not how God values it. It's not how he views it. Because his thoughts about it are differently So if we're going to understand Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, they give us a clue about what is to come just a few verses later. God thinks about things differently. Don't trust yourself. Trust the Lord. This is important because this is not the same thing as trusting your own common sense. Common sense is a good thing to have. When I was growing up, uh, people would often say, that's a smart kid, but you have the common sense to come out of the rain. Right? Common sense is good. If it's raining, it'd be good to come out of the rain. That's a helpful thing. But sometimes common sense overrules God's sense. Well, it shouldn't. Because the way God thinks about things are different than how we think about things. And our lives as Christians are to be brought into conformity to God's will, not the other way around. We're not trying to bend God to match us. God is saying, you be pliable and come to me. So when we think about these things, we start right there. As we deal with dollars, we want to deal with them sensibly, but we want to deal with them with God's perspective in mind. You ready? Let's keep reading. Go down to verse 9 of chapter 3 in Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first produce of your entire harvest, then your barns will be uh, completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is a, a great thing for us to see here because it's one of the first times in the scripture that we begin to see again a conditional blessing. There are some other ones that we see in scripture. One of the famous ones that you probably learned, if, if you worked with our children in Awana, you, you probably learned what we learn in Exodus chapter 20, right? Honor your father and mother What? So that your days will be long upon the earth. It's a it's the first blessing or the command with a promise, rather. It's a conditional blessing. If you obey, I will bless. And by the way, that's how it always works in scripture. If you obey, I will bless. Oftentimes we think that it should be the opposite. If God, if you give me a bunch of stuff, I'll really honor you with my wealth. I will then start to tithe. I will then be generous to the needy. It never works that way. It doesn't work that way. And it didn't work that way when you were growing up either. It doesn't work that way. I remember one time uh, my parents were trying to get me to do a little bit better in school. Anybody? Can I get an amen to anybody that ever had to do better in school? Please, am I the only one? You know, it was a constant thing around our house when I was growing up. You know, this idea of you need to do better in school. And it generally revolved around mathematics. No shock to you Uh, that that was a problem area for me. And one time, my parents said, uh, hey, if you'll work really hard in mathematics, we're going to take you to the SEC Championship Tournament for Basketball. And I was like, I am all in. And they bought the tickets before the report cards came out. That was bad. Because I didn't get it done. But I knew that Big Gene wasn't gonna let those tickets go to waste, right? And we went on to the SEC Championship anyway and I heard about mathematics all the way to Knoxville. You know what I'm talking about? And how I needed to get my tail in gear. And that was, that was the theme of the day at our house. It doesn't work that way. You, you, you don't bless because then it doesn't work, right? What you do is you, you, you dangle that carrot out there and you say, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you. And that's all through the Old Testament. Don't ever lose sight of that. If you obey, I will bless. God doesn't bless so that we'll obey. He says, if you obey me, I will bless because my ways are higher than yours. My ways are right. They are pure. So the Lord says, through Solomon, who is the wisest person that ever lived, honor the Lord with your possessions. And he gives us this important piece of it, the first fruits, the first produce. Now, you may say, well, I've got a garden. And the truth of it is, uh, Pastor, if I honored... The Lord, with the first bit of produce, there wouldn't have been anything to show you last year. Black thumb took over, and I killed everything I've got. You've got a job, though. You're earning income. Passive income. Active income. You're earning these things. And what the Lord is saying, when God blesses you, bless him with the first of your produce. And I want you to understand this. This is important. This conditional blessing is not telling us give so that we'll get rich. Can I I just stop? And I always have to say that. Because somebody in here is going to go, is he talking about the prosperity gospel? If I I put $5 in the offering plate, is God going to give me $500? I don't know, but I doubt it. He may. But that's not in Scripture, is it? That's not what it says. It doesn't say... Hey, give to the Lord and God will make you rich. It doesn't say that. Can we examine these verses again? It says, give to the Lord the first of the produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. As you give the first fruits, giving leads to abundance and plenty. Now here is the biblical principle As you honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth, here's what starts to happen. God supplies all of your needs through his glories and riches in Christ Jesus. And I believe this because of what scripture says, not only here, but in another passage we'll look at in just a minute. You'll have some extra so that you can continue to be a blessing to other people. You'll, you'll have a little bit extra to do that with. And, and I want you to see that because that's important for us. It's not a how to get rich scheme. If I give, then this is, how can I gain this system? This is not how to kind of tap into God's lottery. There isn't one. It doesn't work that way. This is how to honor the Lord and be obedient so that God will completely give you everything you need and give you abundance. And so you say, what? Well, how much should we give of these first fruits? I'm so glad that you asked. One of my favorite verses of scripture is Malachi 3:10. I'd like to read it for you because it really deals with the first fruits. In Malachi 3:10 it says, "Bring the full 10th, that's called a tithe, bring the full 10th into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house." And test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not come against your crops. When you see these things and you begin to understand this, this is huge for us. So when we talk about the first fruits and we talk about giving, the tenth, the tithe, belongs to the Lord. It's his. It's not yours. Now, I didn't read the verses Before that, because every time I do, you guys get a little squeamish with it. And and I don't mean to step on your toes with it. I'm not saying it, it's in the scripture. The verses preceding this say, Will a man rob God? And the people say, Well, how are we robbing you? No, we would never rob you. And he goes, You are, because you're not giving the tithe. The tithe, 10%. How much should I give of my first fruits? 10%. I was talking to my cousin. He's a little bit older than me, and he had the privilege of growing up in the same town as my grandparents, uh, where they lived. In fact, my grandparents took care of him as his mom and dad were working, you know, as you often do. Uh, and so he had a very, very special relationship with my grandfather that none of the other three grandchildren truthfully enjoyed. And it wasn't because our grandfather didn't love us any, any less than he loved Jay or anything like that, but... He loved Jay because he would spent so much time with him. I mean, from the time he was a baby, he'd been in the house and they were always working together and and, and things like this. My grandfather uh, had a unique thing about him. When he was a young man, he was working in a field with uh, a a tractor and an implement that had a chopper on it. And the the, the chopper had gotten, it's kind of gruesome, but the chopper had gotten clogged up. And he cleared it with his hand and lost his finger in the process of that. And so he, he was missing his middle, middle finger right here. And he used to point with that all the time, that nub of that finger, you know. I know that's how I feel about it too. Uh, and, uh, and, and my cousin was telling me, he said, you know, I still remember learning how to tithe from my grandfather. You know, we called him D for my grandfather. And he said, I remember him giving me some money for work. He gave me a dollar, but he gave it to me in 10 dimes. And he laid them out there, counted them out. And he took that nub of a finger and he pushed nine of them over to me. And he took the one and said, now, you can't have that. And he said, but it's mine. He said, no, it's not. It's God's. It's God's. He said, I've never forgotten that. And you wouldn't, would you? I mean, you wouldn't forget if somebody took a finger they were missing and did 10 but But you know something? That's exactly how my grandfather taught my dad to tithe when he was a boy. This has been fundamental to my life in understanding what it means to be a biblical steward. It starts with the tithe. It always starts with the tithe. And if you notice, it says that there's a conditional blessing that takes place for us when we tithe. Did you see that? I want to read verses 10 and 11 so that you see this again. It says, Bring the full tenth in the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And then it says, Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land, your vine in your field, and you will not fail to produce, your, uh, your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. So a couple of things come out of that that are, that are pretty important. One is it says I'm going to give you a blessing without measure. I, I don't know what it must be like for the Lord to throw open a window of heaven and start to pour things out. I I mean, I take it kind of literally that one day we might get to heaven, and maybe this is just conjecture, but will you go with me for, I'll step over here. Go with me for a minute on this, okay? Can you imagine being in heaven and the Lord saying, oh man, check that guy, that lady, they are faithful. Look at them. They can be trusted. Look at them, they're tithing. Come on, God, throw the windows open, let's go. And they throw the window open and they start to pour out the blessing. So much so that you won't be able to even receive it, it says. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Of God doing what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. I'm gonna give you so much, you won't even be able to receive it. You'll be amazed at what I might do if you'll just obey me. But he also says something else. Did you notice that? He said, I will rebuke the devourer. Now, that means something in agricultural terminology, doesn't it? Because when you plant a field, I mean, a lot of what we're dealing with today is we're talking about how are we keeping our field safe. And many of you, you know, are, are pretty passionate about uh, making sure we're not eating, you know, pesticides or, or those kind of things in our produce. We want it organic and whatnot. But it comes at a cost, right? It's hard. You, you get a little bit less yield, perhaps. And a farmer, you can understand, would be certainly worried about that. And again, I know you might be saying, well, I'm not a farmer, so I'm not really worried about that. But but think about it this way. All of these people would have been farming. They would have understood that. They would have all had the big garden. They would have all been trying to live that way. So what he's saying is, the things that you put your hands to do, I'm going to help you succeed in those things. I will prosper you. doesn't mean that You don't get something out of the field if you don't tithe. But it does mean you don't get all that you could. That's interesting, isn't it? To not get all that you could. Well, Pastor, I thought you said that it wasn't all about me and all about what I could buy. It's not. Because as you become generous towards the Lord, and the Lord becomes generous towards you, you'll become generous towards others. I say this uh, every year now when we get to Global Focus, but I, I just think it's worth repeating. A number of years ago, we were a little bit short on some partner gifts because we'd had somebody show up late. We, we didn't know they were coming. And so, you know, we do partner gifts months uh, like a month in advance, right? I mean, so it's like kind of hard to, to get that going. And in fact, didn't know they were coming until that day at noon. And, you know, we, we were trying to get a few things done and I'd sent Kathy to the store with our children and I think Margie had gone with you and y'all picked out some toys for their children and different things like that. But the parents were there and we, and, and we just didn't, we didn't have anything for them. And right before the service start, a guy walked in and said, pastor, I really wanted to do something this year for a family in global focus. I just, I kind of fell asleep at the wheel. I missed the opportunity I, it's probably too late, isn't it? And I was like, "Well, that depends. He said, "Could I just give you a thousand dollars? Yes, you can. <laughs> it blessed those people's socks off. That's God's economy. That's God doing what only He could do. That's God providing the increase. God had given him an increase, and he was ready to be generous to someone else. It's so transformational in our lives when we understand that we're conduits for blessings to other people, that God just gives us stuff. Sure, you need shirts, you need a house, you need food, you need need those things. And this is not a message about go home and sell everything you have and don't ever buy anything again. That's not what it's about. If you leave here this morning and that's what you come away with, you missed the point. The point is to understand that stewardship demands critical thinking. Stewardship demands that we put our brains in gear. And we see everything that God might give us as something that he might be using for his own purposes. Now, here's the truth of it. After you get to the tithe, God says the tenth is mine and he allows us to live on the rest with discretion to use the other as we might see fit. And that's a great blessing if you think about it. If it's all God's and God gives you 90%, it's not a bad deal, right? I mean, he says, I'm I'm giving you 90%, but you're going to give me 10%. And so you you often kind of get to this. If God doesn't need money, then why do we do this? Can I answer a few questions for us about tithing? Because I think it's really important. If God doesn't need money, Why would he ask us to tithe? It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. Do you trust me? A lot of us say that we trust God for salvation, but we may not be truthfully trusting God for all that he says he is if we don't believe that he'll provide for our needs. I trust you for my eternity, but not for my finances. That doesn't add up, does it? Eternity feels more weighty, or is it that... Ooh, finances really are more important to us. So it's not that God needs it, it's a trust issue. Some people ask Is this just, isn't this just kind of an Old Testament principle? You've been reading from the Old Testament, it's the law from the Old Testament. I'm glad you asked that because tithing actually predates the law. Do you remember a man named Abraham? Abraham is is the the, the real start of the nation of Israel, right? You remember that? He predates the law. We don't get to the law until Exodus. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, you see that Abraham tithed the tenth of the spoil of war to honor the Lord. It predates the law. But Jesus also commended tithing in the New Testament. In Matthew 23, 23, he was dealing with some scribes and Pharisees, and he said, you guys tithe down to the little bitty nth degree of things, the spices, the the very little things that you would earn just from selling spices. You tithe in those things, but you're neglecting some of the big things. You ought not neglect the big things. You ought to do them both, is what he's saying. Jesus commended that for us. So oftentimes we say, well, it's an Old Testament, it's a law thing, and we're under grace. Well, we're not under grace in a lot of things from the Old Testament. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it's not like that you can murder people now because we're under grace, right? That law Does that law still apply? Adultery, it still applies. And you say, in fact, in the New Testament, it's heightened. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've murdered. And you've heard it said... Don't commit adultery. But I tell you, any man that looks after one with lust in his heart has committed adultery. So maybe what we would say is, sure, I love grace-based giving. But if you're going to do grace-based giving, you should do more than 10%. I'm just throwing that out there for free. You let that live with you for a little bit. I don't know. Gross or net? We often Should I tithe on the gross income that I get or the net income after taxes? And, and that's an interesting question that I think's already been answered because Solomon said in Proverbs 3 bring the first produce before the government gets their little hands on it and they're going to get their hands on it. They do a good job at that. Before they do it, it's the Lord's because that's 90%. And I got to thinking about this a couple of weeks ago in anticipation for this. I mean, it's kind of funny because this argument of gross or net, I mean, it really boils down to not very much. Uh, If if we could just take this example, for instance, if you earned a hundred dollars this week and, you know, you were taxed, like, pretty high, 25% tax bracket. You know, you'd be shielding $25 from tithing income, which when you take 10% of 25 is how much? Come on now. Thank you. 250 So gross or net? Over 250 really? I mean, is that, is that really where you want to be? It's like, God, I'm, I'm going to take all that I can from you. This, this 250 is mine it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, give of the first fruits, give generously, love the Lord with all your heart and give cheerfully and joyfully. Uh, Oftentimes people ask me, can I give my tithe to any organization that I want? A 501c3 or a ministry that I support outside the church or my kids' Christian school or or, or just any kind of charity like that. And and that sounds good, but you ought to be generous to those things, but that's not a tithe. Do you remember that Malachi 3.10 said, bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. God says, what does the tithe go for? We'll get to that in a minute. But it comes back to the Lord, to his house. So that kind of leads to, to our, next, our next question is, what does the tithe go for at Judson? It's the same thing that it's always gone for. If you remember in the Old Testament, the Levites who were in charge of all of the temple worship, they had no inheritance in the land. They were totally dependent on the people who tithe. That, that's, how that it, that's how it worked. And, and so it went to the administration of the temple, the administration of worship, the, the support of the, the Levites, priests, pastors, as we would call them today. So when you say, what does my tithe go to at Judson? Well, you're enjoying electricity this morning, and we thank you for that. We've had church without electricity. It's not nearly as fun, but we can make it work. Uh, you're enjoying uh, the fact that uh, you know, we have different programs and ministries that we're able to support and run and fund and do all of those kinds of things. But, but this is the important thing for you to see. It goes for the administration and the upkeep of God's house so that we can, can continue doing the work of ministry. Now, maybe you say to me this morning, kind of last question, I'm not tithing, where do I start? Like, I'm, I'm giving like uh, 2%. What should I do? Should I just work to to bump that up to you know, like three or four four percent? Well, maybe not. Maybe you should just start with ten percent. And here's why: uh, if, if you had a child at home and you asked them to take out the garbage and they got it three percent of the way there, would you be happy if they moved it to five percent? I mean, like, thank you. You almost got it out the door. A little more. It doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. It's a trust issue. And I promise you this about this trust issue. You will live better on 90% than you ever could on 100. And you say, well, now, come on. How do you know that? Well, I'm living proof of it. I've been tithing my entire life because I was taught it at a young age. And I'm grateful that I was. It's something I want to pass down to my children as well. We've been working with them on biblical stewardship. Because I want them to understand that every blessing that they get in their life doesn't come from them, because every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. That includes money, salvation, a spouse, a place to live, I mean, everything you can think of, it comes from the Lord. It's not just our material blessings. So if you haven't started tithing, start today. I feel like uh, every couple of years I have to tell you this story. Uh, Do any of you remember Doug Ripley? Raise your hand if you remember Brother Doug who came and taught us in Global Focus. Y'all are some old school folks if you remember Brother Doug around here. You've been with us for a while. Brother Doug uh, had something interesting at his church. If you ever went there and it came to the offering, he would stop and he would say, I want to encourage you to tithe, and if you've never tithed before, I'm going to challenge you to do it, and I offer you a one-month money-back guarantee. What's that happening? What, what's going on with that? Doug would say, if you tithe this month and God isn't true to his word, you come see me. I'll give you your money back. I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> if, if, you were, if you were hoping. <laughs> if, if you were hoping, I'm not going to do that. If you give to the Lord, it's his. It's, that's, that's the way it goes. Uh, that, that's how it goes. But when I was a young pastor, I got very close to that one time. I stood up in our little church in Virginia and was preaching on tithing, and I said... With all the gusto I could muster, if you tithe this month and God isn't faithful to his word, because he says it, doesn't he? Try me in this. Test me in it. See if I'm, see if I'm as good as I say I am. I mean, you got nothing to lose. Test me in it. If God's not true, wh- what are we going to do, right? I mean, if he's not true to his word, we got bigger issues, right? So I stood up and I said, if you, if you tithe this month and God doesn't meet your needs, you come and see me personally. I want, I want to talk to you, and I will help you in any way I can. If God's, Now, now there's some caveats to that. I make the same statement to you this morning. Now don't do that and then book the trip to Disney on the credit card, right? And come see me, that, tell me that God wanted you to go to Disney and it didn't work out. That's not what we're talking about. Biblical stewardship means good financial practices all the way through, doesn't it? I mean, it's, that's how it works. So I stand up and I say this with all the gusto I can must, muster, you know, and we're going to give and we're all going to tithe and it's going to be great. And, and you, you come see me at the end of the month. Didn't think any more about it. End of the month. Nobody ever came to my office. So I was surprised when they knocked on my door and it was one of my good friends. And he said, uh, Hey, can we talk for a minute? Sure. You remember that little sermon you gave on tithing? Yeah you said to come see you if God didn't give you what you needed at the end of the month and I was like uh oh here we go me and my big mouth he sat down and he said pastor I tithed and this month I was short $200 on my bills Yesterday is the last day of the month where I get paid different things like that and I was just praying what you said Lord you said that if if we would do this that you would provide for us And he said, I I was at work yesterday, and a guy drove up. He worked in a big wood yard. It was huge. They had stacks of wood, and they loaded on these freight cars and take them off. And this guy drove up and said, Paul, uh, you mind if I park this truck out front here, and I want to sell it? And he said, "I, I need to get $500 out of this truck. I just want it gone, $500. And he said, anything you make over top of it, you can keep. And Paul said, yeah, sure, just go ahead and put it out there he said about 15, 20 minutes later, I don't know, half hour, a guy came and knocked on the office of the woodyard and said, Paul, whose truck is that out there? And he told him who it was. He said, what's he want for it? And Paul said, $700. <laughs> and he said, Pastor, I never would have believed it. I never would have believed it. God's as good as his word. Can I ask you this morning... Do you trust the Lord? He is as good as his word. He's faithful in life. He's faithful in death. He's faithful in his promises to us. And he loves us so much. And he wants us to love and trust him. And so he asks us this morning, do you trust me? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want to spend just a moment and I want you to, Just pray. Would would you do this for me? Would you just examine your relationship to money? Is it where it's supposed to be? Or if you were being truthful, is it not? I mean, truthfully, are you an owner or a steward? Are you falling into the trap of pursuing wealth at all costs and maybe being led astray by those things. This is a great time to just recalibrate. It's the first of the year. A good time for us to examine these things. Would you just do business with the Lord on that? What about tithing? Do you trust the Lord? I promise you that if you'll obey God's word, he will bless you and he'll provide for everything that you need. You'll live better off the 90 than you ever could off the 100. Trust the Lord. Father, you have given us every good and perfect thing. And we acknowledge that this morning. And we want to hold all things loosely in our hands. God, thank you that you have provided for us. Father, I thank you that you have provided for so many of us over the last year and really two years now. And Even, even as we reported last week through our benevolence ministry, Lord, just being able to help us, Lord, that's you providing for our needs. God, I pray for the person today who just needs a little help. They need you to come through in a big way. Would you do it, Lord? But I pray they'd obey you. And I pray for those of us who are not obeying you right now in our tithing. Father, that even now you would speak. That you'd let us see that unexpected income is not ours just to do as we please, but Lord, it's a gift from you maybe to be a a gift to someone else. Help us, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.